And uh, I hope I can say this now. There's the, oh yeah, you can say that now, but I hope that I would say this if all of my people, the people that I voted for got elected, you know, uh, that's the prayer, uh, or the prayer, that's the hope uh, for me is that, uh, that I would be like that and just trusting the Lord and not in man, you know, that, that's scriptural for us. So, so Genesis chapter nine is where we, uh, we finished chapter eight. So we're going to pick up in chapter nine, verse one. Noah and his family have, uh, they're off the ark. And we're picking up in verse one. It says, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and, and multiply and fill the earth. So the commission command uh, is once again given to populate the earth, repopulate it. Uh, and uh, mankind is, is starting over. And all we have is Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. And uh, we saw at the end of chapter 8 that the first recorded thing that Noah did when he got off the ark was to worship the Lord. And that's a good way to restart. To, uh, you know, everything had just happened. And uh, the next, the last recorded thing we see in chapter 8 is Noah going straight to worshiping God. And uh, that's, uh, that's a, a great way to start. Turning to the Lord, worshiping him, and obeying the command. God, you know, they're, they're, he's worshiping God, and then God gives him a command. Uh, he and his sons and their, their wives are, are called to repopulate the earth. Verse 2, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall come on every beast of the, of the earth, on every bird of the air, and on all that move on the earth, and on all of the fish of the sea that are in your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the grass herbs. So the Lord is uh, once again giving them dominion over all creation. And uh, there's a change here, though, of a fear and dread uh, that's coming. So uh, it seems as though there was a different kind of relationship between mankind uh, and uh, beast before the flood. And, and now that there's a dread, there's a sense of danger uh, that they have. Now, uh, probably familiar to us here in Maine for hunting season. Uh, if you haven't noticed, uh, fall time, uh, there's about a billion deer and they're all jumping out in front of us in our cars, right? And uh, they, they all come out. And then it, it's funny, though, once it becomes deer season, everybody's hunting. It's like, where are the deer? <laughs> so they sense a danger and they're, they're getting away. I say that, but I drive by them and they're standing right next to the road eating, looking at me as I drive by at 55 miles an hour. And they're, like, and they're this close from the road, just you know, chewing some grass and everything. If I stop my car and I get out, what's going to happen? Gone, <laughs> right? So there, there, there's a fear uh, that the that uh, beast has over uh, see, over the sight of man and you know fish. Trying to catch fish. You ever tried to catch fish with your hands? Uh, you know, uh, we'll go and um, we love to love to swim at Craig's Pond and and. Orland. And when we're there, we've always got these little minnows and, and you're like, oh, there's a hundred of them there. I can scoop them up. They're all gone. By the time my hand goes in and like even that fast, they're gone. You know, they don't want anything to do because they're they're trying to preserve their lives. They don't go, oh, this is, you know, this is John. He's not going to eat me or whatever. They're just, I'm going to fear. You know, the same thing with the little tadpoles that we play with. All those, the, all of, all of creation, uh, uh, these these animals are uh, now have a fear of man, and, and uh, as that's described here, you know, it, it made me think of 
of the horse. And if you remember in James chapter 3, James 3 talks about uh, a horse, how big, strong, and powerful a horse is. And to understand that a, a, a man or woman can control that horse with a little bit in its mouth. Um, my sister and uh, her husband and uh, her mother-in-law have horses. And uh, I don't know about you guys, has anybody been on a horse before? Uh, one of the most frightening things in the world for me. You know, I'm sitting on this. I don't know how much that thing weighed. I don't, I'm going to say 1,200 pounds. I don't know. And uh, it's big and it's unpredictable. Uh, what I would much rather be on a four-wheeler where I'm in control. And I get on there, and my sister takes me for a walk like 10 feet. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> so there, there, I understand how powerful that thing is. I used to work in a horse farm, and there were some horses that feared us more than others. There's some, some of them I think I've told you about. There was one named Igor, and Igor was a world champion horse. You wouldn't have known it when you walk into his stall because when you walk into his stall – I'd go in and I was uh, I was just like cleaning bedding and everything. We were we were just farm hands, uh, me and a buddy, and we uh, we'd go in and there were some horses that uh, like Igor that you love to go in there because uh, you know, my buddy was telling me he's like, hey, when you get into Igor's, just just you're, he kept talking to me about it. My first day I get there, I go into Igor's stall, and Igor likes to play, and Igor's sitting there and he's he's bumping me and he's grabbing my shirt and he's pulling on it, and then uh, he takes and I'm freaked out. I mean, I'm, I'm inside a box and the door's shut, right? And this thing is huge and could stop me to death. But all this thing wants to do is play and it's, it's doing its thing and it wants me to rub its neck under here and I do and then he tilts his head and sticks his tongue out. Wants me to grab his tongue and play with it. This is a world champion horse, okay? People pay thousands of dollars. I mean, just, just to breed with this thing and, and I think it was like over a $100,000 horse and here I am playing with his tongue, you know? And then there's another one that I went in and cleaned its stall like once or twice. And my buddy had a way of dealing with that one, and that thing feared him, and they both had a mutual respect for each other. And uh, it's, it's intimidating, you know, when you realize, okay, this thing isn't so playful like Igor is. I've got to understand this thing could potentially kick me in the head, could do all those things. So when I did have to go in, when my buddy missed work for a few days or whatever, it was me and scared to death in there. I'm realizing how big and strong that, that, that thing is, but that thing's afraid of me. It's afraid of me, you know, and just to understand that some of these things that are, are afraid of us and they'll try to get away and everything that they can be, they can be tamed and that they can actually be ridden. My sister rides her horse down the road to you know, the store, ties it up, walks inside, gets her cereal and puts it in a bag and rides a horse back home. You know, just to understand the the uh, the dominion we have been given over these uh, these animals, the the power that we've been given over them, and we have to train them to to trust us and then to respect us. And uh, it's it's quite amazing to think that something uh, that powerful can be just turned that, that, that we can we can take it from you know a wild horse. You can't just jump on a wild horse. That thing, you know, good luck if you survive. And uh, Excuse me, but once they're they've been trained and they obey, you can you can lead that thing and you can get it to the point where you can control it even with a small with a, a bit, you know, just how it's. And, and uh, James goes on to to say it, it's it's like thinking like a ship, you know. He also uses a ship that that big ship is is turned just by the little rudder in the back. It just changes everything for that thing, 
You know, the same thing with that big, powerful horse with that little bit in its mouth that we can turn it around, we can move it around. So we see in the scripture that the Lord uh, has made uh, them food and things get real quickly. So if there was a different type of relationship, uh, which it seems there was, it imply, the scripture implies that there was, uh, that things got real fast. And those animals are like, get out of here. <laughs> They're coming with you know, knives or whatever. And, and our lives are at stake. But mankind was given permission to eat meat. I say it was a glorious day. So, uh, you know, we've, we've got meat to eat and uh, started all the way back. Back here. Verse 4 says, But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. So, uh, blood represents life. You know, there's a lot of emphasis of blood in the Bible. And uh, as, you, as you read through the scripture, you'll see it in there. And long before science uh, figured out what blood carries and uh, throughout our bodies, God knew and informed mankind. And uh, you know, nothing can replace blood. What blood does in our body? If we don't have enough blood, we die. You know, and that, that blood is carrying nutrients and you know, water and uh, oxygen all the way through our body. And there's nothing that, that can be put in our body to replace blood. And uh, we can do blood transfusions. If I'm running out of uh, blood and somebody has a, a blood type that matches with me, that can be put in. But without blood, I die. You know, and, and that's it. it would just, just without that, that life-giving fluid pounding through my veins, then I die. So uh, the Lord, there, there are a few different ways to look at this. He may have been protecting uh, mankind from a disease that, were, that was in the blood. And uh, that, that might have been uh, what he was doing as one thing. And uh, blood is mentioned 424 times in the scripture and 357 different passages in the King James, uh, King James Bible. So uh, as, as we look at blood, it's going to be presented in several different ways throughout the scripture. And uh, considering blood for a sacrifice, the blood was was to be poured out uh, on as an, as a part of an offering. Now, pagan worship, they would often uh, drink the animal uh, blood or even the human blood. So, uh, when when you consider blood, it, it was supposed to be poured out, uh, and uh, when it's innocent blood of of an animal that's being offered, it's not to be drank like the pagans would. It's supposed to be poured out. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Leviticus 17, verse 14 says, For it is the life of all flesh. It, its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of the flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Deuteronomy 12, verses 23 through 25 says, Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. Uh, you shall pour it out on the earth like water. You shall not eat it. That it shall that it may go well with you and your children after you, when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Pretty important. The Lord's putting a major emphasis on blood and uh, the fact that it gives life, and it is to be poured out. Now we consider blood and Jesus Christ. 
Jesus' blood was poured out so that we can have life. There's the paradox there, right? Something had to, to die, had to be, the, the, the blood had to be um, poured out from them, and uh, that would represent that it died. Now, for us, when Jesus' blood poured out for us, that means that we can live. And uh, you know, his blood being, being poured out provides life for us. So it was his innocent blood that was shed and poured out for us, the guilty ones. Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26 say, Jesus, whom God, God set forth as the propitiation for, uh, sorry, propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That through, that through the Lord, because of his blood, we can be uh, covered by him and our sins are... are uh, they're gone. You know, he's passed over the sins that were previously committed, it says. We have forbearance because of the Lord's forbearance had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just, uh, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, the word propitiation you know, carries a basic idea of appeasement. Or satisfaction, you know, specifically toward God. So propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of an offended person and being reconciled to him. So Jesus became that for us, that propitiation for us. In verse 5, it says, Surely your life for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his, shed, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made him man. So, sorry, I went back to, uh, to Genesis 9, if you had, had switched over Genesis 9, 5. Now, I just said that. Now, I'm going to give you another verse. Exodus chapter 21, verses 28 and 29 says, If an ox, so uh, before I get into that, what it's saying here in verse 5, it says uh, that the Lord will, uh, for our lifeblood, for mankind's lifeblood, uh, he will demand a reckoning. If it's from a beast, then he'll, he'll still demand that reckoning, and, or from man. So when you, when you consider why, you know, a beast, uh, and, and God does address that. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 28 and 29, it says, If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall be shall surely be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past, and it has been and has been made known to its owner, and he is he has not kept it confined, so that it has killed a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall also be put to death. So it, there's responsibility there. What we're seeing here, and, and we're going to go through, is God is, is implementing capital punishment, is what's being uh, put here. It's established by God. Capital punishment it was designed to be a deterrent from murder. You want to murder, you're going to lose your life. 
Now, uh, you know, if uh, um, you consider here in the United States, some states have rejected the death penalty and some states have it. You know, Texas, I think they've executed more than anybody. Florida still does it. There are some other states that still have the death penalty. And uh, actually, I, I saw a news, a news article. There's a man set to be uh, put to death in, uh, I think it was in Texas today. You know, he murdered his mother. And uh, he's, he's going, to, uh, going to be executed today unless there's some stay of execu execution. But the Lord is he's establishing capital punishment to deter mankind from killing one another. Remember when uh, you know, the Lord the Lord destroyed the world because it had become so wicked and violent. So the Lord's setting parameters, and He says, if if an animal kills somebody, you kill the animal. If a animal kills somebody, uh, and the owner knew that it had the potential to do so, and it had tried to kill other people and didn't do anything about it, this person lost their life. So the animal and that person were to lose their life. So. The, the Lord here is establishing, you know, uh, something uh, ex extremely important. So uh, we understand that just because there's a death penalty doesn't stop some people from committing murder. It doesn't. They don't care. You know, there, there are some people that they, they don't either they don't think about the repercussions, they don't care about the repercussions, and they just go do what they selfishly want to do, and they go commit murder, and they kill somebody. And now they're either going to face, you know, whatever the charges are going to be. In some states, they may face capital punishment. You know, they get capital murder in uh, Texas, and you're convicted of capital murder, then you're going to die. That's going to be the end of that person's life. Some states contest it. The Lord is giving this command to protect life. It's the greatest gift God gave us here on earth. We have salvation, of course, but... If we're not alive, if God didn't breathe the breath, so we have to understand how precious life is. This is what God is saying. Life shouldn't be, shouldn't be like, ah, hey, that person died, no big deal. There should be a, a respect. So God is second, uh, setting the record straight here. Uh, you know, the, that violence that, that was in the world uh, before the flood, uh, God was setting it. And, and he says here that he will demand a reckoning of, of beast or man. So there's no way to avoid the reckoning of the Lord. The only way to is standing in Christ. That we can stand there and just say, please forgive me. You know, we still may face whatever punishment that, you know, if the, the scriptures say, you know, that if somebody calls out to the Lord, even somebody who's committed murder calls out to the Lord, that they can be saved. That may not go well with us. It may not, but that's between them and the Lord. You know, we're not the ones that, that determine their uh, their eternity. That's that's between them and the Lord. But God is setting a standard here. Man was made in God's image. The animals were not. So that makes us unlike the rest of creation. Being made in the image of God means we're made like God. God made us in his image. That makes us special. I mean, uh, j just to think of that, you know, to understand being made. And if you need a reference point, we talked about that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. So we're unlike all of the, the rest of creation. We're made like God. 
And the Lord says, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of the man. So whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. So, uh, you know, proper punishment for bloodshed is what's uh, being established here. So cities of refuge were something uh, that are, are listed in the scripture as though for those that didn't mean to kill or cause harm, but they did. And uh, so I'm going to share a couple scriptures with you, and then um, I'll try to summarize them just because I just realized it takes up like a full page of my notes here. But Numbers 35, uh, verse 6 says, Now among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which manslayers may flee. Verse 9 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. They shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger that, may, uh, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And the cities which you give them, of the cities that you give them, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, and for, for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement, so that he dies, he is a murderer, and the murderer shall be put to death. Verses 17 and 18 go on to describe a stone, a wooden hand weapon. If they use those things and strike somebody, uh, they are a murderer and shall be put to death. Verse 19 says, The avenger of blood himself shall, be, shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, uh, he shall put him to death. So uh, if somebody... so. I'm going to go through, I'm going to read all of this actually because it's important for us. Verse 20, if he pushes him out of hatred or while he uh, while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies. Or in enmity, he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, that the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. So if somebody has committed murder, premeditated murder, and they've used whatever tool they were going to use and they murder somebody, God has established in there that an avenger from that person's family can come and take that person's life. That's what's, what's, what's being established here. If somebody accidentally killed somebody, they were after trial, if it was determined that that person uh, had done that accidentally, they were to go to a city of refuge, and they had three on one side of the Jordan and three on the other. And they were safe from retribution from an avenger of blood. So the family member couldn't come into that city and kill them. If they did, now they're guilty of murder. So there was a protection there. Verse 22 of Numbers 35. However, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity, or throws anything at him without lying in wait, or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him, so that 
he dies while he was not at enmity or seeking his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he, uh, where he fled. And he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was appointed with holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of the city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of the blood, because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high, of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may retain, re, return to the land of his possession. And these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations and all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, their murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. For the death penalty. Moreover, if you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be surely be put to death. So there is no way to buy him out. You can't, you can't take ransom. And you shall take no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the, of the priest. So you shall not pollute the land where you are. For blood defiles the land. So remember, we talked. the reason we're reading all this, I know I've been reading a while, and hopefully I haven't lost you on there, but it's all tying together here. For blood defiles the land. And no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit, in the midst of which I dwell. For the Lord dwells, uh, uh, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. That's a powerful statement. He's talking about blood, that this stuff shouldn't be spilled, and he goes on to say here, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. When he says that, it's talk. It, what he's talking about is fearing the Lord, that the fear of the Lord. You know, there's when, when someone goes and selfishly will, in a rage or whatever, go kill whoever, and, and, and they'll just decide, you know what, I'm mad, I'm going to go take out the whole family, or I'm going to go take that person out. And they've, they've spilled that person's blood that you're, you know, you now have a reckoning with the Lord to face. And the Lord is saying, he's putting himself here, and, and, and he's saying that there should be a fear of God. Now, I know, I think it was Evan, probably a few months ago, talked about the fear of God. Um, there is, for us, to be a godly reverence in our hearts. We should have a fear. He's the creator of all mankind, and he can, if he wants to, wipe us right out. He can. We should we should have that type of fear that we are I'm not going to do that because God said I shouldn't. We should get to that point where we understand instead of flippantly deciding, "Hey, you know what? I'm just it's just a little bit of sin. I, you know, God will understand." No, it's he's the God of all creation. He is to be feared. Just like, okay, say we're standing right in front of an earthly king that we're that we're under. This person is in charge of us. 
and we just decide, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to completely disrespect you to your face. They have the authority to execute you. Or in today's world, might be a little bit different. You know, throw you in a jail or, you know, you're going to face punishment. There should, we need to understand who God is and, and respect him as God. God says here, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. He's talking all about this murder and the, and the, the one that accidentally, that, that has committed manslaughter, that throws the rock or, or hits somebody and they die. God protected those people because they're innocent of premeditated murder. But the one that was guilty of premeditated murder, the, uh, the death penalty was established by the Lord. And God is protecting the innocent and, uh, from the uh, purposeful killing and shedding of blood. We're made in God's image, and he says that he dwells here. He's, he's saying right here that he dwells with the children of Israel. God makes the rules. Uh, humans, human lives, every single life is valuable. I was just talking with Daniel before church, and he told me he had a conversation today with somebody at school about abortion. And uh, the question was if that is a living being inside somebody's body. And there was a quick debate over whether it's alive or not. There's a heartbeat. Well, there's a heartbeat. Heartbeat is pushing blood to something. It <laughs> means you have life. You know, if, uh, if, if I drop down here and am not breathing and my heart is not going, I'm dead. If my heart is going, I'm not dead. You know, you can't, you can't use a defibrillator on me if my heart is beating. It won't work. It just, you, know, you take one of those AEDs, the automated external defibrillator, you put it on me, it will read whether I have the, the, uh, the, electric, the electricity coming from a heartbeat in my body. But if I don't have a heartbeat, I'm dead. You know, where there's no fear of the Lord, there's no respect of mankind. And that's where we're at. I mean, a, a big a big talking point of the election, specifically here in Maine, hinged upon abortion. And um, it's sad to know that um, a baby would be considered a non-living being if that baby was left alone. Okay? Now, it's... Uh, I know people in my life that um, have been forced to have abortions. They've been forced to. It's horrifying. Forced into a medical situation that's going to take a baby from you. That's awful. It shouldn't happen to anybody. I've, I've, I've been on the phone, and I think I shared this. If I did, forgive me because you know I'm still going to share it. Um, but... uh. There was a time, and I did, I know I did, but there was a time where my wife was on the phone with somebody and their friend was at an abortion clinic saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And it was an instant thing. It was no questions asked. Tell them we'll take the baby. I just, like, it was literally life or death. And I, I, I'm begging through Jen on the phone. We're begging to tell this loved one that she has to tell this other lady you don't have to do it. We'll pay for every medical expense you have. And this isn't me trying to make us a hero. I'm, I, it ends in heartbreak because they don't listen. Okay? 
that was a living being that I, I don't care. I don't care what happened. I don't care if there's medical condition, nothing. That is a human being that God made alive, that we had an opportunity to at least offer something to let it live. And we were just so let down that day. I mean, it was quiet in the, in the car ride afterward. It was just quiet. We were heartbroken. My whole family was in there. We were praying and praying and praying. And this poor woman got so pressured by her husband to not have the baby. And so they didn't. I realized that um, we, there's a mixed group in here. This may be uh, something that has happened to us or people we know and love. There is no condemnation. If you have if you have come to Christ and we're new creations, that whole thing is gone. It's gone. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad any or anybody listening. I'm not. But I can't stand here sit here uh, as as a pastor. I can't I can't be in the pulpit here teaching and not protect life. When God just made a such a powerful statement about human life. It is life. Um, my wife and I lost a baby between our oldest two. Um, we lost a little girl 10, 12 weeks. Um, and uh, it was old enough for us to be able to tell. It was, they told us it was a girl and four girls. So we, we've had, I, I'm a dad of four daughters. Four daughters. And uh, I share that. Uh, now someday we'll meet her, um, but I, uh, I remember we had to go through a process, and uh, when we get to the hospital, they it's it's called a DNC, and I don't remember what that stands for, um, but we get to the hospital, and uh, they tell my wife, you know, we're she's heartbroken, we're both heartbroken, and we're just like, okay, what do we need to do now? Like, what what happens now? the most chilling explanation that I'll never forget the words, how they were, how they were said. Um, and I remember the doctor explaining it and a light went on when he said it, he came in and he's, he's just talking to us and he wasn't overly compassionate, but he wasn't cold, but it was, this is a process. What I learned later is that this, this doctor at one point was so opposed to doing abortions and then was convinced to do them, and he just kind of grew cold. But he sat with us or, or stood there or whatever, and he says to, to, to Jen, he says, we're going to do a procedure, and we're going to extract the contents of your uterus. That's how he explained. It's the same, same uh, procedure as an abortion, a DNC. Uh, is uh, as far as I understand, and that's what it was described to me as. But do you hear the trained words in there? We're going to extract the contents of your uterus. Now we had lost a baby to a miscarriage. If somebody goes in for uh, the, uh, you know, a, an abortion for that process to uh, eliminate the life of the baby, that's how they're spoken to. And when I think of, of these, uh, these Christian organizations, it's to say, wait, before you do that, you want to do an ultrasound? And they grab the ultrasound and they put it on the baby, on the, the mother's stomach. Wow, 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 wow. Makes everything different. That's your baby's heartbeat. 
That's a baby's heartbeat. That life that God wants to protect, that's a baby's heartbeat. And it changes everything. For some people. But at least they knew this wasn't just a thing inside your uterus that they're going to extract out. <sighs> Created in God's image. And for any man, woman, child, unborn child to be cast away as not worthy of living when they've committed no crime, worthy of death, shouldn't happen. And that's what the Lord is establishing here. Moving forward, verse 7, Genesis chapter 9, verse 7. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. What is being, what, if you consider what was just in verses, the verses before this in verse 7, complete opposite. Excuse me. It's the uh, exact opposite of murder, which ends life. And this is a, uh, just a, a reiteration that uh, they were to be fruitful and multiply. You know, murder ends life, and God is clearly in op opposition to murder and commanded that mankind should multiply. Verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is, that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast on the, of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living thing, every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. I'll remember my covenant, uh, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on, on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I will establish between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Another big portion of reading here. But it's God establishing a covenant with mankind to never again a flood the entire earth to destroy it. He sets a rainbow in the sky, and it's the symbol of God's promise. The rainbow is not uh, was not established to be uh, the symbol of sexual deviancy. It wasn't. The, 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 the rainbow was put in the sky by God as a reminder to him and a reminder to mankind that he will never again destroy the face of the earth with a flood. 
You know, isn't it just like our enemy and sinful humans to take what's good and to pollute it? I'll say again, I know and love several people that are in the homosexual community and the whole, all the letters that go in there. I'm not up here saying I hate them. I do not hate them. But anytime something that is established by God is being perverted and changed, I will step against, I will stand up against it. We have to. We can't just say, oh, no, oh, hey, the rainbow, it was invented for that. No, it was not. You know, it's, rainbows are one of the most loved phenomena in, in, in the world. How many times has anybody ever looked at a rainbow and go, Psh. <laughs> right? We look at rainbow and we're like, oh, my goodness, that's gorgeous. Or if we're, if we're fortunate enough to see a double rainbow, how beautiful they are, right? And in today's world, we all have phones and we're, Psh, you know, taking a bunch of pictures and, you know, you're zooming in, you're zooming out, you're getting pictures and, you know, you're wondering, is there really a pot of gold? No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's, 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 uh, you know, when we think of a rainbow and what it is, it's a, a refraction of light that's coming from the sun. And once it hits the water, uh, the water droplets, it's, it's, it's a reflection. It's a, a refraction that, uh, once it hits a denser air, uh, then it's, it's, you know, like a lane raindrop or anything, that refracted light, you know, enters uh, enters the raindrop or or the really water rain, uh, and it's reflected back, and then um, it's uh, it's refracted again um, as it exits and travels to our eyes. So, and we, what's cool about them is we need to be at specific angles to be able to see them and, 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 we, and they're going to happen, you know, when the sun is at this spot and, and we're at this spot, we'll be able to get, you know, different views of them, but they're, they're just amazing. So, but there has to be something, there has to be a, a fluid there for that, that light to hit. And I knew I was going to get messed up by the refraction. So I, I wanted to put that in here. Um, so I, I have it there. You guys know me. Uh, so, you know, when the, when the water hits that, uh, water droplet and everything, then things change, and uh, and it creates refraction, and that refraction we from a result of the refraction we can see the rainbow. Uh, that's the best way I can say it. You guys know me in science, right? So, so God gave the beautiful rainbow as a reminder of His promise to all creation. Answers in Genesis. If you go onto their website, they have a thing and they have gear, and it's take back the rainbow. It's T-shirts. It's you know, it might be a a, a thing here, uh, like a like a keychain and everything. And um, my encouragement, if you do that, is to understand that it's a lost human being that might be offended by it. And graciously speak with them instead of all right. Now it's time to go. And both redheaded veins sticking out and you know spitting on each other and everything. It's hey, I'm going to take you back to the creation of a rainbow. And this is what a rainbow means. And you can just stay there. It, 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 and, and oftentimes in that community, there's a hatred for God. And you can say, well, he's the one that created the rainbow. So we're in a little bit of a, uh, and you're in a little bit of, of, of a predicament because what you're doing is wearing something that's celebrating what God created. And, and those things, like I said, know and love several people. I don't have hatred for them. But that rainbow was created by God for a whole different reason. And for that to be hijacked and to be used the way it's being used is wrong. Verse 20. And Noah began. So here's a shift in the story. So uh, we've been studying um, for a while. 
uh, in the past few weeks about the build-up to the ark and uh, the coming off of the ark. And uh, now there's a some instructions and uh, there's a an explanation of how things have kind of gone since they've gotten off the ark. Now they get to now we're getting to kind of everyday life stuff that comes up. And in verse two, and I say everyday life, and then I'm going into the failure of Noah. This was not an everyday occurrence of him, but this is now life after the ark is what I'm trying to say. So life after the ark. So Genesis chapter 9, verse 20 says, And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his younger son, what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So moving all the way back to verse 20, we see that Noah became a farmer at some point and he planted a vineyard and from the vineyard gathered grapes and at some point made wine. And uh, there, there's what's really weird is this seems to be very straightforward. There are some very weird theories about what just happened and what we're reading. And I'm going to tell them to you, and I'm going to tell you what I believe and what I what I read from trustworthy uh, and heard from trust. Uh, now, first of all, we should be searching the scriptures ourselves. And after we've searched from ourselves, then we uh, use several different references to look things up. It shouldn't just be, oh, hey, you know, I like this person, so I'm always going to look at them. Nothing wrong with having a favorite teacher. Don't get me wrong. But mix it up a little bit. Okay, well, this is what this one says. This is what this one says. Okay, my, my Bible dictionary says this. This commentary says this. Many of us haven't had the opportunity to go to uh, a, Bible school, a Bible school. I did two classes. Very blessed by it, but I, I was taking it correspondence, and I was married with kids and full-time stressful job, and I just I, I couldn't keep going. But I learned a lot from it, and, and uh, I was blessed by it. But just understanding that when we're looking at the scripture, we have to know how to interpret it. And we need to know, uh, you know, what's the, what is, what is it really saying? So uh, just an encouragement there to dive in yourselves and uh, get some reliable things that we can, uh, that we can learn from. So some say that Noah didn't even understand fermentation. Well, how did he get wine? You know, he was making wine. You know, to make wine, you have to press the grapes and all those things. So uh, maybe he did the juice. So one argument would be that uh, he, he, he 
made the juice and maybe it sat too long and tur- I don't even know how to, I know they like make jailhouse wine from making things ferment and all those things. But, uh, you know, what we see here, what's being written here is that he understood what it was. He made wine and then he drank too much of it. And we've talked about this several times that drunkenness is con- is condemned in the scriptures uh, that that getting drunk is defined in the scripture as sin. Now, drinking wine in and of itself is not sin. By itself, it is not sin. For me, and I've explained this before, so I'm not going to go on the, the long explanation. I know you guys have already heard me talk about that. But wine uh, in and of itself is 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 a not sin. We can see the 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 um, the warnings. Remember Solomon writing about wine as it sparkles in the cup and everything, and draws you in and everything. It's kind of that you know the eyes, the, the little twirly thing from the from the cartoons where your eyes get all you know hypnotized and everything. That that sparkle invites you, and uh, it's not. I would say it's not wise to participate in in uh, the drinking of wine, but I can't tell you that it's sin to do so. I can tell you to drink too much wine and get drunk is what le- what what is the drunk factor? Why even play with it? Is my encouragement to you is just just cast it away from yourself uh, and 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 move uh, move away. So wine participating in wine uh, presents an opportunity for us to drink too much and drinking too much. We do and say stupid things, right? You know, that's the funny thing about it. Funny, I say funny thing is people do funny things when they're drunk, you know, and, and you know, they'll say something funny or, or, or whatever, and it's embarrassing, you know. Um, what's in the, what happens in, in, the, in the participation of drinking alcohol is we're giving ourselves to it and allowing it to control our lives and our body. That's what's happening. And we're poisoning our body, and then our, our brain doesn't know what to do. And, you know, we might start slurring words and, and those things. But uh, ultimately, there's a danger in it. So my encouragement to you is to not participate. I can't tell you that you're, you're, you're wrong. Uh, if, you, if you drink wine, I, I just can't do that. The, the sport of scripture doesn't support that. It does tell us the warnings of it. You know, wine is a mocker. Strong drink, drink is a brawler. You know, when we have uh, the scriptures telling us those things, oh, hey, there's a warning that this thing can, you know, end up being um, a problem for you. So Noah is documented throughout the scripture as a just man, and we we've seen that he was one that walked with God. It was desc- he was described as one that was perfect in all of his generations. And what we're seeing here is this isn't the sum and the complete history of Noah. This isn't how we should remember Noah. This is a failure Noah had. He got drunk and exposed himself. He's sleeping on his bed, passed out, I'm assuming, and he's exposing him. He's naked. And that's what what we're seeing here as we're going through this. So, you know, this was a big mistake on his part, you know, to get drunk uh, in front of his family. And uh, to lose control of himself, and you know, maybe he passed out and in a compromised position, and uh, or or that he was completely stripped down and thought he was going to bed and forgot to throw the blanket over himself. Whatever it was, we know that he's exposed. And uh, you know, Noah, we have his failure recorded here for us. But it's important to understand that uh, Noah was commended several times in the scriptures, even by Christ. Uh, as as a righteous man, 
in Hebrews chapter 11. He's mentioned in the, what we know as the hall of faith. You know, for us to look at him and go, oh, yeah, we can't even trust this guy. He, he got drunk. Yep. And he did something sinful just like all of us do. Right? So he got drunk. He stumbled. He messed up. He lost control um, of his, uh, you know, what he was taking in, ended up drunk. Uh, and drunkenness is described as, as sin. So uh, if the expectation of any Christian is perfection all the time, we have unreal expectations. If anybody has that expectation of me, uh, then I'm, I'll just apologize now. Uh, I, I am a sinner uh, that is being changed and 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 turned uh, made into uh, the image of Christ, just like you guys are. I'm just called to be in this position, and you should see. You should not see habitual sin in my life. You shouldn't see big sin happening in my life as as the pastor of this church. You shouldn't. But occasionally, you might. I don't know. Might see me. Get upset over something. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what would happen. But you, you just just don't be shocked if you hear me yelling at my dog or whatever. And hopefully it's not swear words. It shouldn't be right. Or or just losing my temper. We'll say we'll say losing my temper. Pretty easy for any of us to lose our temper. Uh, and uh, you know my kids have seen me do that with the dog or whatever it is. It shouldn't be habitual. It shouldn't be this thing where everybody's walking around the house like dad's going to lose it. And he's, you know, the the, the top's just going to pop right off and things are going to get ripped off the, the, the wall and thrown and kicked and thrown down the stairs. You know, those types of things. That's sinful. That's wrong. But there, there are times. So if there's the expectation uh, for that, remember Jesus warned again, Will calls it plank eye. You know, right? And it was, he. The, I remember when Will described it. He was talking about, you know, that where Jesus said, hey, you know, why are you pointing out the, the, the basically the, the splinter in someone else's eye when you've got a plank in yours? And Will, I'll never forget it. And Will is just describing it. He's like, hey, you got a plank coming out of your eye and you're swinging it around and people are ducking and you're knocking things over. And he's just saying, you know, you may point out the sin in somebody else's life when you're not even looking at the, like, what are you, you're a mess. You know, it's easy for us to do that. We have to understand this isn't the the summary of who Noah was. Okay, Noah failed, and his failure is written down just like we've studied Peter and poor Peter. Man, he gets beat up in the you know in in a lot of different uh, circles and within the church and everything. But understand what God did in and through that man. And how bold he was. Oh, yeah, he made some stupid mistakes, but man, did that guy have some boldness. He had some courage on him too. You know, there was there was a time of failure, but just to remember that we're all we're all humans. We're all work in progress. We're still being changed, molded into Christ's image. You know, sin, sin shouldn't be acceptable for us, but it shouldn't condemn us. Understanding uh, Romans eight says there's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, go go read Romans eight slowly. Just read the book of Romans slowly. Just take your time. I mean, there. I, I remember talking to my chaplain uh, at the base, and he's like, "Yeah, we use Roman Romans as a textbook. We went through that in law." He's just like, "We we used it as a whole textbook, and uh, it, it was really cool." So it might be an embarrassing event. Um, uh, that that doesn't go away for years uh, for for Noah and uh, but just understanding that, that God does forgive 
uh, if we find ourselves in at that time. You know, maybe something that doesn't just go away that people are going to remember. Yep, well, confess it to the Lord and move on. You know, that's the encouragement. So if and when we do, experiencing the sin of another Christian uh, in their lives, uh, we should protect them and pray for them as our brother and encourage them to turn from it and confess and forsake. Proverbs 17 verse 9 says, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Oh, you'll never guess what I saw them do. <laughs> right? That's what it's saying. Hey, you know what? I saw that happen. That's between you and me. I've done stupid things too. That's that's what's being said here. Is that love would cause us to do He who covers a transgression seeks love. Hey, you know what? Uh, yeah, yeah, I heard that. I saw that. Whatever. We're good. You know, um, I, what we shouldn't be doing is running around talking about it. Now, of course, there are big things. Murder, rape, assault, those types of those things. They need to be dealt with. Right. We need to, I think we all understand that. Those things should be directly reported, and we shouldn't be turning a blind eye to those things. Now, regarding what Ham did, now Ham is Noah's youngest son. So Ham, uh, I'm going to talk to you about some of these. We've got just under 10 minutes, and I'm going to wrap this up. I'm on my last page. Here are some of the weird different uh, teachings that talk about, okay, so I'm going to go and I'm just going to read very, very quickly. If I haven't turned the pages over too much, it says, um, 21 says, then he drank of the wine and was drunk. It became uncovered in his tent. Okay. So we know, know that Noah's naked on his bed or at least exposed. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. And then we, we hear, see here that Shem and Japheth, they put a blanket on themselves. They walk backward. They don't even look, and they cover their father. So we're dealing with the sin of Ham, his youngest Noah's youngest son. So some of the some of the uh, the teachings of this one says that Ham sexually assaulted his father Noah. There's nothing to support sexual assault. Uh, that's that's just weird speculation. There's nothing written in there that speculates that at all. Another one, uh, another uh, teaching uh, and belief system is that that uncovering his nakedness meant that Ham had sexual relations with Noah's wife in an effort to usurp Noah's uh, authority. Okay, and they go on these long explanations. Okay, a third one is based on a rabbinic teaching is that Ham and Canaan castrated Noah while he was passed out. This is. People believe this and teach this as such. Where? Take the scripture. There are, there are times where we need to kind of dig in. Cast your eye out and cast it from you. Jesus isn't telling us to make ourselves blind, okay? He's telling us to take sin very seriously, right? What we can do is look at this. Ham saw his father, and rather than respect his father... We see here that he goes out and tells his brothers. And it doesn't like, hey, dad's naked in there. He's like, hey, guys, come on and see. He wants to make fun of his father. He's disrespecting his father. It, it, you know, there's nothing that's clearly written that implies anything other than what it says right here. So those other meanings are merely speculation um, uh, that, that are not clearly supported. 
You know, the explanation that what we see from Shem and Japheth is when they put the, the blanket on themselves and they walk backwards and they cover their father clearly explains the situation and, uh, and how it should have been addressed. They didn't go, oh my goodness, somebody castrated, now we got to do surgery on dad, right? And now what just happened with, with uh, mom, with uh, you know, Noah's wife? I mean, you know, or, or somebody just assaulted dad, what are we going to do? How do they respond? They walk backwards. They cover their dad. They don't even look. Guys, the answer's right in the scripture. Why do people confuse it? I have no idea. It's right there. It's very clear. They don't see their father naked. They don't want to embarrass him. They want to protect his dignity. And they cover his sin rather than try to gain from it like the son Ham did. Now, Ham should have respected his father and protected him and loved him. He shouldn't have even said anything. Maybe if he comes out and says, hey, guys, just want to let you know, found dad like that, covered him up, and and uh, I'm, I'm glad you didn't have to see it, whatever. You know, it's unfortunate that Lot, uh, that, uh, Lot, that uh, Noah got into that situation and everything, but the way Ham uh, handled this uh, was sinful and wrong. Instead, as a pervert, he sought to publicly, at least amongst you know, he and his brothers embarrass his father. That's that's the problem. That's that's the sin that he committed. And he could have and should have been uh, quietly covered it up and, and and his father and left. A few more verses and we're done. First Peter four eight. Now this is crazy. If you have the Bible app, tell me. You know, there are little things that God does sometimes to confirm. Hey, you know what? You're right where I want you to be. Okay. The Bible app verse, I've had this in my notes for like two weeks now. 1 Peter 4.8 says, And above all things, be fervent, uh, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. I'm teaching that today, and it's in the Bible app today. To me, it's like, you know, I don't believe in the coincidence. I, I believe that the Lord you know, ordains our steps and everything, and that's really cool. Like, hey, you guys are going to be uh, teaching this? Hey, today's Bible app uh, versus this. So I just wanted to share that. So when Peter wrote this, he's referencing Proverbs 10, 12, which says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Proverbs eleven three says, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Ham could have been a faithful servant of his dad and concealed his dad. But... Unfortunately, he wanted to be the talebearer, and he wanted to embarrass his dad. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, If any among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Ham sought to use his words to embarrass his father. Couldn't even bridle his tongue and, and just protect his dad. He had to come out and, and be stupid, be an idiot, and try to embarrass his dad. Exodus chapter 20 Verse 12 says, this is the commandment, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the, uh, upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Ham was seeking dishonor his father. And he did, but he had two brothers that wouldn't do it and that they protected. You know what? Hey, dad failed. Okay. You know what? Let's just go in. Why embarrass him further? Let's go in and cover him up. That's how we should approach things. Have a quiet conversation the next day when they're not still drunk. 
You know, have, try to have a conversation, an in-depth conversation with someone who's drunk. <laughs> Good luck. You know, it's, you're not going to have the best of results. So as we see here at the, at the end of this, Noah curses Ham. And he, he says Canaan. Now Canaan is his grandson. So this results in the rejection and curse on Ham and his descendants, uh, the Canaanites. And there's going to be a lot more diving into this, so we're not going to get into a, a big explanation here. So there's some speculation that Canaan might have uh, had something to do with the embarrassment of his grandfather. Um, uh, we don't know. You know, that's that some people think that might be why Canaan was mentioned. But ultimately, we understand that Israel comes from Shem's lineage, and that Israel eventually conquers the land of Canaan, right? So... As we progress through the scriptures, we'll dive into that. But Noah curses his son and his descendants and said that he's going to serve the others and uh, that, that they are going to be uh, over him. And uh, it's uh, and those two are named, Shem and Japheth. Now, if you go into Luke chapter 3, you're going to see that, Hem, uh, that Shem is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So there's our study. We finished uh, Genesis chapter 9. There's a lot in there. I encourage you to go home, read it, uh, and uh, just kind of go over these things. But just the understanding of uh, everything that we really just covered. Uh, we, we went through uh, the lifeblood and, and uh, those things. But just understanding, uh, see a brother or, or, or sister fall, understand they are Christians, they are human we talk about it and say, hey, hey, how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? And we turn, forsake that sin, and move forward. Whatever it is, drunkenness, uh, fit of rage, or you know, stupid things being said. All right, how do we how do we pick up? This can't be it. We this can't be like, okay, now we got to kill Noah. You know, that's it. He failed. We got to take him out. No, God is gracious. He loves us. Let's pray, Father. We are blessed by your word. Blessed, Lord, that that you are holy. And that you love us. We pray, God, that we would learn from what we've read. And we'd uh, be able to remember what we've studied tonight. And that it wouldn't just kind of escape our minds, God. That you would keep this in us and build us and strengthen us from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace to you guys. Have a great rest of your week.